Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your promise of heaven. And I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that all of us today would emerge from this place ever more filled with joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Have a seat. Well, my wife Leslie and I are headed out to California this next week to visit family and friends. And, you know, we used to live in California. We lived there for about 10 years. And California is a very different place. We like to joke about California. It's good-natured. It's, it's, you know, affectionate. But it, it is a weird place. you got to be honest. I remember when we first moved there, I saw a license plate holder in Los Angeles on a car, and it said, Toto, we're definitely not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> and that's true. That's true. It, it, it's, it's quite a materialistic culture out there. You know, there's a shopping mall on every block, and the kids grow up in shopping malls, and there's a joke about these two girls who are driving down the freeway, and they see a sign for the YMCA, and one of them points to it and says, hey, look, they misspell Macy's. <laughs> I remember when we moved out there, we were applying for our driver's license, and we're filling out all the papers for the driver's license. And one of the questions was, are you presently taking any of these drugs, Prozac, Xanax, or Valium? Then it said, if not, why not? <laughs> That's California. And the smog in L.A., in Los Angeles is really amazing. Do you know what they say when the fog lifts in Los Angeles? You know what they say? UCLA. UCLA. <laughs> now, of course, UCLA is a great university. There's some wonderful schools out in California, but there's also a lot of party schools out in California. They're just party schools. In fact, they had a fire at one of them recently, and a bunch of books were destroyed. But the real tragedy was a lot of them had not yet been colored. So it was a very... It's a very sad thing. But, you know, they make jokes about us. They make jokes about Texas out in California. They joke about things like guns and religious people. And so it's like the joke they like to tell about this burglar that breaks into a house in Texas. And a woman confronts him, and she shouts out, Acts 2.38. Now, Acts 2.38 is a verse that talks about our need to repent. But she just shouts out at this burglar, Acts 2.38. And the burglar turns, and he runs. And he gets into the getaway car, and his buddy says, why'd you run? He said, are you kidding me? She said she had an axe and two 38s. <laughs> but, you know, it's good to have a chuckle every once in a while. Proverbs 17, verse 22 says, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And we know that's true. We know that our experience tells us that there's something good about joy. There's something good about laughter. And there is something about joy and the Christian life that is unique. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about what makes the joy of Christianity different than any other kind of joy that we experience. It was certainly different than what I experienced when I was an atheist and I was a legal editor of the Chicago Tribune. I mean, back then, my goal was to pursue happiness. Pursue happiness. That was my goal. I mean, everything in my life was oriented around keeping myself happy at all costs. But here's what I found. I found that the more I pursued happiness, the more elusive it became. 
In other words, if I, if I scoop the competition, in other words, I, I beat the competing newspaper to a story, if I scoop the competition, I'd be happy. If I got an award or a promotion at the newspaper, I'd be happy. If I got drunk, I'd be happy. I was a happy drunk. If my marriage was going well, I'd be happy. If it was sunny outside, I'd be happy. But then you know what? It wouldn't last. It wouldn't last. Then one day, somebody at the other newspaper would scoop me. And then somebody would win an award that I wanted to win or get a promotion that I wanted to get. Or my marriage would get difficult or I'd wake up with a hangover or it'd be drizzling or snowing outside and all of a sudden, the happiness would flee. Why? Because unlike joy, happiness is dependent on happenings. Happiness is dependent on, in other words, happiness is dependent on our circumstances. When things are going great, we're happy. When things aren't so great, we're not happy. But joy is different. Even though our mood is obviously affected by our environment and things that happen to us, granted, the fundamental joy of the Christian life is independent of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. The joy of the Christian life is not something we seek after or we strive to achieve. The Bible says it's the byproduct of having a rich and a real relationship with the God of the universe. In fact, Galatians chapter 5 says that as we follow Jesus and, and, and as we increasingly open our heart to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the Holy Spirit will increasingly over time manifest nine different qualities in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice the second thing that's mentioned is joy, that over time the Holy Spirit will increase the sense of joy we have in our lives. That doesn't mean that Christians are ecstatic all the time. Doesn't mean that we're immune from depression. Doesn't mean that we're exempt from having a bad mood. In fact, the Bible does tell us about men of God who lose their joyfulness. Job wishes that he had never been born, he says. Even after Elijah uh, defeated the prophets of Baal, he fled into the desert and he asked God to take his life. And yet, as a general rule, our fundamental sense of joy should be increasing over time because its source is God himself. And by implication, that means that it's not optional for Christians to be joyful. That's not an option. If it's chronically missing from our life, if you're a follower of Jesus, and over time, at least in some incremental way, you're not experiencing an increase in joy, something's wrong. Something's wrong. The great evangelist Billy Sunday said, if you have no joy, then there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. It's a leak, and that's true. Something is leaked away. And this somberness sort of repels people from God. There was an agnostic by the name of Sheldon Van Auken. He later became a Christian. But he said, the best argument for Christianity is Christians. And the first thing he mentions is their joy, their completeness, their certainty. But, he added, the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they are somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug, when they are narrow and oppressive, then he said, Christianity dies a thousand deaths. 
In other words, we chase people away from the church when we live a somber and a joyless and an oppressive life. It makes people say, well, why in the world would I want to get involved in something like that? And yet the overall orientation of the Christian life should be toward more and more joy. In fact, the word joy is mentioned no fewer than 242 times in the Bible. So let me talk about three ways in which God uniquely manifests joy in the lives of those who are followers of Jesus. First, there's the joy of receiving God's grace. The joy of receiving God's grace. This is the liberation, the celebration, the wonder, the euphoria, the gratitude that floods into our life when we receive the grace of God. In fact, it's interesting that the Greek word for joy is actually closely related to the Greek word, uh, the, the Greek for the word grace. So joy and grace are linked in the biblical Greek language. So why should grace manifest such joy in our life? Let me give you an illustration. Let's say that you've heard that that the hill country in Texas, a great place to take the family for a long weekend, a lot of things to do, it's real pretty. So you get the family in the car and you're driving out to the hill country, but because you don't have a lot of time, you're going too fast. You're going about 25 miles an hour over the limit. And all of a sudden, there's a police car in your rear view mirror with his lights on, his siren blasting, and he pulls you over to the road. Now. Freeze that scene. What do you deserve at that moment? You were speeding. You're going 25 miles over the limit. You deserve justice. Justice would be if the police officer wrote a ticket and had you pay a hefty fine. You're guilty. You ought to be held account. That's justice. But what if the police officer decided to show you mercy? What would that look like? Mercy would be if he said, yeah, you were speeding. You know you were speeding. I know you were speeding. But you know what? I'm going to forgive you anyway, and I'm going to let you go. That would be mercy. Mercy is not giving you what you deserve. You deserve a ticket, but I'm not going to give you that. I'm going to let you go. That's mercy. And mercy is wonderful. Mercy is great, but it's not grace. It's not grace. What would grace look like in that situation? Grace in that situation would be like the police officer looked at you and said, you know what? You're the one millionth driver that we pulled over this year. So even though you're guilty, even though you were speeding, I want to forgive you and I want to present you for this check for $20 million from the state of Texas. Have a nice day. That would be grace. That would be grace. You see, justice is giving you what you deserve. Mercy isn't giving you what you deserve, but grace is giving you what you don't deserve. You didn't deserve that $20 million check, but how would you feel when you received it? You'd be happy, right? You'd be joyful. You'd be celebrating. You'd be excited. Well, think about God and us. I mean, what do we deserve from God? We deserve his justice. That's what we deserve. Justice is nothing less than being held accountable for the way that we violated the laws of God. We've fallen short of God's standards. And so justice would be that we would be separated from God for all eternity. That's what hell is, complete and total separation from God forever. It's what we deserve. But you know, God could give us mercy. 
He could get, what would mercy be? Mercy would be sending his son to die on the cross to pay the penalty we deserve for the sins that we've committed and offering forgiveness as a free gift of mercy. And that would be great. That would kind of get us back to ground zero. It would wipe away our sins. That would be awesome. But God goes far beyond that. He says, not only am I going to forgive your sins, but I'm opening the door to eternity to you so that you can spend forever with me in a wonderful, joyful, incredible, glorious, wonderful place called heaven. That's the grace of God. What's the price tag on something like this? It would far exceed a measly $20 million in a check. Spend eternity in glorious heaven with God himself. And so our response to that kind of grace ought to be joy. It ought to be joy. The prophet Isaiah put it poetically. He said, oh, the joy of drinking deeply from the fountain of salvation. In fact, there is such joy in receiving God's grace that Luke 15 tells us that every time a sinner repents and receives this free gift of God's grace, a party breaks out in heaven. A party breaks out. Luke 15 verse 8 says, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now here's the problem. Our problem is over time, that joy we, we experience when we initially receive this incredible gift of God's grace, forgiveness, eternity with him in heaven, that joy can fade over time. Uh, coming up on November the 8th of this year, which is just, what, five weeks from now or so, I'll be celebrating my 41st anniversary of having received God's grace. And maybe for some of you, it's even been longer than 41 years. But you know what? That initial euphoria can dim over time. I mean, sometimes we just need a reminder. We just need a reminder. I remember several years ago, I was a pastor at a church in Chicago, and um, it was Baptism Sunday, and by God's grace, we were baptizing hundreds of new followers of Jesus that day, and, and, and we got all the candidates for baptism together, and we said, we're going to do something unusual. We're going to give you a piece of paper and a pen, and we'd like you to write on that piece of paper some of the sins that you committed, that you were especially grateful that God has forgiven, and then fold up that paper and take this pen and when you walk up to be baptized, we had a giant wooden cross on the stage. It said, pin that piece of paper to the cross. Because Colossians 2.14 says, our sins are nailed to the cross with Christ and therefore fully, fully paid for by his atoning death. So come up to the platform, pin your sins to the cross, and then come and be baptized. Well, I got a letter shortly after that weekend from a woman in the church. And I want to read you what she wrote. She said, I remember my fear. She said, it was the worst fear I ever remember. As I wrote as tiny as I could on that piece of paper, the word abortion. I was so scared that someone would open up the paper and read it and find out it was me. I almost wanted to walk out of the auditorium during the service. The guilt and the fear were that strong. Well, she said, when my turn came, I walked up toward the center of the stage, toward the cross, and pinned the paper there, and I was directed over toward a pastor to be baptized. He looked me straight in the eyes 
And I thought for sure he was going to read in my eyes the terrible secret I had kept from everybody for so long. But instead, I felt like God was telling me, I love you. It's okay. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. I felt so much love for me, a terrible sinner. She said, that's the first time I actually really felt forgiveness and unconditional love. She said, it was unbelievable and it was indescribable. Friends, that's the joy that we feel as a result of receiving this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life through Jesus Christ. It is unbelievable and it is indescribable. And sometimes we just need to remember that. We just need to recall that. Um, so Christian view of grace, it is unique among world religions. There is no other religion on the face of the planet that is based on that kind of grace, a free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Every other faith system is based on trying to desperately somehow earn our way to God, to perform enough good deeds, and maybe someday we'll pacify this God and get into heaven. But you know what the chances are? Regardless of how hard you try, you're going to fall short. Well, where's the joy in that? Where's the joy? It's just a bunch of striving and worrying and trying to achieve something that you probably will never achieve. You can never rest easy in the confidence that you're safely adopted into the family of God forever. But the Bible says we can rest confidently in the grace of God. We can have full assurance that we've been forever adopted into his family, not because of anything we've done to earn it, but because of this free gift that God offers out of his love. So first, there's joy in receiving God's grace. Second, there's joy in sharing God's grace with someone else. There's joy in sharing God's grace with others. In the greatest sermon ever delivered, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus got up in front of a group 2,000 years ago and he looked in their eyes, but I really believe he was looking down through history and he was looking at you today. And this is what he said. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine among others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. What did he mean by those metaphors of salt and light? I think he meant, look, if you're going to be a follower of mine, I want you to live lives that are like salt that, that make people thirst for God. I want you to live lives that are like light that shine my message of hope and grace into dark areas of despair. And when we make ourselves available to do that, when we're committed to being strong salt and bright light, God is gonna use us to bring his message of hope and grace to people within our sphere of influence. And you know what? It's gonna be one of the biggest joys of our life. I remember the first time I ever shared the good news of grace with someone. I'd never done it before. I was a new Christian. I was still a newspaper editor in Chicago. 
And it was a very difficult day, a very stressful day. A lot of news was breaking, and, and we had six deadlines a day at that newspaper, so a lot of activity, a lot of work. And uh, I prayed at the beginning of that day as a new Christian. I said, God, it's going to be a hard day. Would you please help me get through it? And at the end of the day, you know, God answered that prayer. My boss came up to me, and he, he looked at me and said, Strobel, this was really a terrible day today. How did you manage to get through it without blowing your top? And then he apparently saw a link between my behavior and the fact that I went to church because he said to me, so what's this Christianity thing to you? Well, I froze for a moment. Nobody ever asked me about my faith before. The only reason he knew I was a Christian is because he once invited me to go golfing on a Sunday morning and I said, I can't go. I'm going to be at church Sunday morning. So he knew I was a Christian. But I, I never shared my faith before. Nobody ever asked me about it before. And I didn't know what to say. I was afraid I'd utter the wrong words. I didn't want to embarrass myself. I didn't want to have him judge me. I was afraid of what might happen if I gushed about my faith and I became known as the holy roller of the newsroom. I, I didn't, know, didn't know what was going to happen. And that's when the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 1.16 came into my mind where Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And so I made a split second decision to take a spiritual risk. And I said to him, do you really want to know? And he said, yeah. I said, let's go in your office. So we went over to his office. We shut the door. And for the next 45 minutes, I, in a very thoroughly inept way, <laughs> shared the message of God's grape. Nobody ever taught me how to do this. I, I tried my best. I, I told the story of how I had, uh, was a skeptic and I had investigated Christianity and here's what I found and how I'd received God's free gift of grace and I would change my life. But, you know, I wasn't very good at doing this. I kind of wandered and meandered in my explanation and so forth. But I did about the best I could and something amazing happened. He didn't laugh at me. He didn't make fun at me. He didn't nervously change the topic or make up an excuse to cut the meeting short. Instead, he listened intently, and by the end of our 45 minutes together, he was hanging on every word. And inside of me, I was bursting with joy. I was bursting with excitement because I realized at that moment, nothing was more urgent, nothing was more exciting, nothing was more important than sharing this message of hope and grace with someone who is far from God. I just felt like eternity was holding its breath, that eternity was hanging in the balance. And I remember after the end of that meeting, 45 minutes later, as I walked out of his office, it was as if my entire lifetime up until that meeting had been a movie filmed in black and white, a very grainy 16 millimeter film with scratchy sound. But that 45 minutes was like vivid technicolor with Dolby stereo. Friends, that's the antidote to a dry Christian life. That's the antidote to a dry Christian life. When we live on the evangelistic edge, when we're asking God, God, open up opportunities for me to tell other people about the grace that you offer, you never know what's going to happen. Could start out an average and routine day. But God might bring into your path an opportunity to have a conversation that could change somebody's life 
and rewrite their eternal destination. And there's such joy and excitement in that and adventure in that. I remember once um, after I left newspapers and I was on the staff of a church in Chicago, uh, one day I said to a few of the staff members at the church, I said, would it be interesting if we all went to downtown Chicago today and I took you to the federal courthouse and showed you the place where um, I covered all the political corruption cases in Chicago and the, the crime syndicate murders and so forth. They said, yeah, that'd be interesting. So we got on the train, we went to downtown Chicago, we went to the Dirksen Federal Building, we took the elevator to the 21st floor where my office had been, and the elevator doors open up, and there standing in the hallway was an old competitor of mine from another news organization who I hadn't seen in years. He hadn't seen me since my days as a hard-drinking, wild-living atheist at the Chicago Tribune. And he's one of these tough Chicago reporters. He, he had a cigar. You never lit it. You just gnawed on it, you know. And, and he saw me. He said, Strobel, how the blank are you doing, you son of a blankety blank? I said, I'm doing good. He said, I haven't seen you for years. Are you still writing for that blankety blankety Chicago Tribune, that blankety blankety piece of blankety blank? I said, actually, John, I've... I've had a big change in my life. I've, I've become a Christian, and, and I'm a pastor now. <laughs> and he looked at me. It was like his cigar almost fell out of his mouth. And all he could say was, well, I'll be damned. <laughs> and I said, well, John, you don't have to be. <laughs> and God gave me an opportunity to tell him about the grace of God that was available to him. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. When you live on the evangelistic edge and you ask God, God, bring opportunities into my life to share your message of hope and grace. It raises all the other aspects of our Christian life. Because we're living in that way, um, your prayer life takes on a whole new dimension because you're praying, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I need you to help me. It's when our Bible study takes on a whole new dimension because we're not just looking for abstract theological truths. We're looking for something that might help us reach a, a friend. It's when our worship takes on a whole new dimension because we're worshiping the God of the second chance who loves our spiritually confused friends even more than we do. It's when our dependence on God is at its greatest because we know that apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, there's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to lead anybody to faith. I mean, this is the joy of the Christian life. You know, I was, I was working on my new book. Uh, it just came out. It's called The Case for Heaven. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to interview someone for this book, a Christian who's about to go to heaven? So I flew out to Portland, Oregon, and I spent the day with a hero of mine and a friend of mine, one of the greatest evangelists who've ever lived. His name is Luis Palau. And Luis Palau had cancer, and he was about to die, and he knew he was about to die. And so I spent the day with Luis and with his wife to interview them for the book. And during the course of the interview, um, I said to him, I said, Luis, let me ask you a question. After you've been in heaven for a while, what if you could send a text message back to every follower of Jesus on planet Earth? What do you think it would say? And he thought for a moment. He said, Lee, I think it would say, Go for it. Go for it. I said, what do you mean, go for it? 
He said, go for it. Take a risk. Tell others about the grace of God. He said, remember, it's the job of the Holy Spirit to convict them of their sin. He's your partner. Let him do his work in them. You bring them the best news on the planet, that there's redemption, that there's a relationship with God, there's a heaven, there's an eternal party that is waiting for them. And then before, this was the last interview he had before he died. And one of the last things he said to me at the end of our interview, he looked at me. He said, Lee, I can tell you from personal experience that when you get to the end of your life and all is said and done, you will never regret being courageous for Christ. You'll never regret being courageous for Christ. So friends, let's be courageous for Christ, right? If you want to inject some joy and adventure into your Christian life, do what Luis said. Go for it. Go for it. Don't wait until the opportunity presents itself to decide what you're going to do. Decide right now. Decide right now that when God opens up an opportunity for you to tell someone about the grace of God, you're going to do three quick things. You're going to take a deep breath. You're going to say a quick prayer, and then you're going to go for it. So there's joy in receiving God's grace. There's joy in sharing God's grace. And then finally, third, there's joy even in the midst of our struggles. There's joy even in the midst of our struggles. Now, this is a different species of joy. This, this is not a, a generally a, a celebratory kind of a joy. This is what I call a confident joy. There's a writer named Jules Renard. He said, there are moments in life when everything goes well. And he said, don't be frightened, it won't last. <laughs> and that's true, that's true. Things may go great in our life for a while, but then sometimes they fall apart. And we get a bad medical diagnosis, or our stock portfolio takes a nosedive, there's pain, there's struggle, there's difficulty in our life. But the Bible says, even in the midst of that, God can bring us a unique kind of joy, a confident joy. This is not a phony, you know, put on a, a phony Christian happy face and, and deny the reality of what's going on. That's not what this is about. It's not like the joke about the, the sign on the grocery store bulletin board that said, lost, Dog with three legs, blind in left eye, missing right ear, tail broken, answers to the name Lucky. <laughs> I don't care how much you call that dog Lucky. That's not a lucky dog, right? And Christians don't just call themselves joyful and deny the reality of the circumstances that they're in. They find a confident joy. What is that? Well, several years ago, I went to the hospital to visit a friend who was on the verge of dying. His name was Tom. Tom had not been a Christian for most of his life uh, until he got stomach cancer. And his sister happened to give him a copy of a book that I wrote about the evidence for the truth of the faith. And he ended up coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And he had a, he had a voracious desire and appetite for growing in his relationship with God. He, 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 he would read the Bible. He would pray. He, would, uh, he, just, he was blossoming in his faith. But you know what? 
the cancer got worse, and here he was. He was on the verge of dying. He was on a ventilator. He couldn't talk. His eyes were shut. And I walked into the room, and, and, and I took his hand, and I was kind of stroking his hand. I said, Tom, let's, let's pray. I began to pray with Tom. And I prayed and thanked God for his love for Tom and for his promise of heaven for Tom. And we prayed for quite a while. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Tom turned his head and he opened his eyes. And he looked at me, and I'm telling you, I wish I had a camera. If I, had, if I had been able to snap a picture of the look on his face at that moment, that was a picture of confident joy. That was a picture of confident joy. Because what his face told me was, God has not left me. God has not abandoned me. God is faithful to me. God is consoling me. God is undergirding me. God is here with me. This was the face of a man who knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that when he closed his eyes for the last time in this world, he would open them in the presence of God forever. That, friends, is confident joy. Christians have been talking about this kind of confident joy for 2,000 years. The Apostle Paul, who went through all kinds of horrible things. You know, he's beaten within an inch of his life five times. He's beaten with rods three times. He's shipwrecked three times. He's pelted with rocks. He's left without food. He's imprisoned time after time. But what does he say to the followers, his, follow, his fellow followers of Jesus Christ? He says, hey, guys, hey, gals, always be joyful. Keep on praying, no matter what happens. Always be grateful, for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus Christ. But isn't that counterintuitive? Isn't that counterintuitive to say, despite this, these horrible things, despite the suffering, we're going to be joyful? Well, let me give you quickly four reasons from the Bible why we can have confident joy in the midst of our struggles. First reason we can have confident joy because we know that the God of the universe is going to lovingly comfort us in our circumstances. Psalm 94, 19 says, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Second reason, we can have confident joy because even if we lose everything, if we lose our finances, if we lose our health, if we lose our life, we know that nothing can take away what really matters and that is our relationship with God and his promise of eternity in heaven. You know, in the first century, when the Romans would persecute Christians, they would confiscate all their property, everything they owned. They would just take it away. And the writer of Hebrews said to Christians, you suffered along with those who were thrown in jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. How's that possible? He says in the next sentence, you knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. Third reason, we can have confident joy because we know that God will use our struggles for our own good. In other words, he will use the difficulties in our life to mold our character and to bolster our strength for our own good. James 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. 
So when I'm struggling, I remember God's going to use this struggle ultimately for my good. And that helps give me a confident joy. Then finally, the fourth reason we can have confident joy is because heaven puts everything into perspective. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our inner strength in the Lord is growing every day. These troubles and sufferings of ours are, after all, quite small and won't last very long. Yet this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessing on us forever and ever. So we do not look at what we can see now, the troubles all around us, but we look forward to the joys in heaven, which we have not yet seen. The troubles will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. Friends, that was the passage that I was praying about with Tom when he looked at me with such confident joy. It reminded me of a sign on the bulletin board at the Mayo Clinic. The sign says, cancer is limited. It cannot cripple love. It cannot shatter hope. It cannot corrode faith. It cannot eat away peace. It cannot destroy confidence. It cannot... It cannot shut out memories. It cannot silence courage. It cannot the soul. Not reduce eternal life and quench the spirit of God. I remember once someone said to me, talking about how heaven puts things into perspective. They said, you know, heaven is sort of like having a vacation on your calendar. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, think about it. Have you ever had a difficult time, especially at work, and the boss is breathing down your neck, and you got a million deadlines, there's struggles, there's difficulties, there's, there's, there's challenges, things are hard, things are difficult, things are painful, but if you have a vacation on your calendar about a month away, where you're going to go to Hawaii with your spouse for three weeks and enjoy Hawaii, just knowing that's on the calendar helps you get through the present struggles ever the more easily. And he said, heaven is love. When you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got heaven on your calendar. You may not know the day, but it's in your future. And yes, we go through struggles. Yes, we go through difficulties. Yes, we go through pain in this world. But you know what? Knowing that heaven is coming puts that all into perspective. And it helps us get through those struggles with a confident joy that we otherwise would not have. And he's right. He's right. Friends, I, I don't know where you're at right now in your spiritual journey. I can in a different place. Maybe you need today to experience this joy of receiving God's grace and being adopted into his family forever. Maybe that's the joy that your soul hungers for today. Or maybe you need courage to share this message of hope and grace with a loved one, someone in your family, a grandchild, a child, a friend, a neighbor, a colleague. You just need some courage from God to experience that joy. Or maybe you're struggling right now. Maybe times are hard right now. Things are difficult right now. And you need the kind of confident joy that comforted Tom in the closing moments of his life. But wherever you're at, in your spiritual journey. You need to know that God will meet you wherever you're at. It's like the story about 
a little boy who's sitting on a bench along a roadway in, in, in a busy city. And he's sitting, and a man comes up and sits next to him. And they get in a conversation, and the man said, what are you doing here? And the little boy says, I'm waiting for the bus. And the man said, oh, oh no, 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 no. The bus does not just stop anywhere. It only stops at designated bus stops. And the closest designated bus stop is a quarter mile up the road. So the bus is not going to stop here. If you want to catch the bus, you got to hightail it a quarter mile up the road and go to the bus stop, and the bus will pick you up. And the little boy said, I think I'll just wait here. And the man said, no, 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 you don't understand. The bus will not stop here. It only stops at designated places. The closest one's a quarter mile up the road. So if you stay here, you're going to miss the bus. you got to go up the road to the designated stop, and the bus will stop for you there. And the boy thought about it for a moment. He said, I think I'll just stay here. So now the man's getting frustrated, but then a bus starts coming up the road, and to the man's astonishment, it stops right in front of the little boy, and the doors open up. And the little boy gets up, and he starts climbing up the stairs of the bus, and he calls over his shoulder to this confused old man. He says, you see the bus driver? He's my father. And friends, what you need to know today is your heavenly father will stop for you wherever you're at. He will meet you wherever you're at. If you need the grace of God to save your soul, he will meet you there. If you need the courage of God to share his message of grace with someone who's spiritually confused, he'll meet you there. If you're struggling and you need confident faith in the midst of that, he will meet you there too. So let's pray. Let's go to God in prayer. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. And let's ask him to do just that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray right now. First of all, for those that are struggling. So many people right now with them. circumstances in our world and our lives are struggling. And I pray right now you will meet them in the midst of that struggle. And you will infuse them with the kind of confident joy that comes from the assurance that you are with them, you will undergird them, you will guide them, you will support them. So, Father, we pray for those who struggle. And, Father, we pray for those who have a friend or a neighbor or a colleague or someone who's spiritually confused, and they feel they'd, they'd love to tell them about this hope that they can find through your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray by your Holy Spirit you would give them the courage to have a conversation, to point them toward you. And Father, I pray for those right now who want to receive your free gift of grace. I pray that even at this moment, in the quietness of their heart, they'll say right now, Father, I believe as best I can that Jesus is your son, that he died to pay for my sins and that he rose from the dead in triumph over death. And right now I confess the obvious, which is that I am a sinner. I know that. And I want to turn from that. And in an attitude of repentance and faith, I want to receive. I want to receive this free gift of your grace this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. 
thank you for loving me so much that your son was willing to die on the cross so that we could be reconciled forever. Help me, Father, to live the kind of life that you want me to live because from this moment on, I am yours. And now, Father, we know Luke 15, verse 8 tells us a party is breaking out right now in heaven for those that have put their trust in you through your son, Jesus Christ. We celebrate with them. We experience the joy with them right now. And we thank you for your message of hope and grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.